it's very inspiring on the, their message as well, their mindset, their daily routines. I think that's really, really fun. I really like that part of my job, just to be able to interact with them, learn from them, how they grow their business, how they build the business. You become kind of like a, an extension of their company. And that's kind of what we want to be. It's not about just getting the order, fulfilling it, and then we're done. It's how can we actually help you with your journey? You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. When your peak customer service hours are the time before work, after work, and weekends, you know you're working alongside some of the most highly motivated and dedicated entrepreneurs. Simon D. Rat of Hyperskew has spent a major chapter of his life in China, where his own independent spirit was called to. If you've been wondering what the company is all about, have a good listen, as their mission is as genuine as the clients they serve, people such as you and me. Simon D. Rat, it is great to have you here on Ecomonics. How are you doing today? How are you feeling? Very good. Thank you for having me, Joseph. Awesome. Happy to have you guys here. You know, it's it's great to, um, we've, we've met a lot of people in the e-commerce space so far, and I think at some point we're going to have met everybody. So it's, uh, we're really happy to have you here as, as part of that mission. Cool, cool, cool. I'm excited to be here. I have been following the, the, the Beautify a lot and I've listened to your episodes and uh, uh, the content is really cool. Yeah. Thank you. That 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 means a lot. <laughs> I could have asked you this before the recording, but I guess I'll just ask you now. Do you remember what episodes you listened to? I'm just curious. Um, I listened to oh, um, well, I have to I have to double check honestly. <laughs> okay. Okay. That might that might that might have been something I should have asked you prior to, but uh, I couldn't help myself. So uh, the Daniel with Daniel Budai and Steve Tan. Did you go with them because they're people you recognized, or you just kind of like pick uh, at random? Because believe me, I do that too. Like if I'm going through a new podcast for the first time, I always go like, "Oh, I know him. I know I know Matt." So uh, yeah, Steve Steve Tan is from the Tan Brothers, so he is kind of uh, well known mm -hmm. uh, in the dropshipping industry. Yeah. So that's why I, I wanted to listen to his story. I get a little bit more background on him. And uh, Daniel mm -hmm. was more about retention mastery through mail marketing. And uh, uh, retention is always a, a big one on how, what kind of message do you put out there? Just to, if, whether it's for acquiring customers or whether it's getting consumers excited, uh, there's always some nuggets uh, when you get to more thoughts about the logic behind more or less. Yeah, and I think uh, just to touch on retention uh, marketing very briefly, retention is really where a brand can shine the most because it shows the, I guess, the appreciation and the gratitude for the customers putting their time and their energy and their and especially their money um, into that brand and supporting that. So you know, it, it reminds me of um, a lesson that I learned in marketing even as far back as high school, which is you know, advertising has two roles: first, you sell people on the product, and then you continue to validate their decision by continuing to show ads and say, you know, you you invested in something that's still going to be around and something that's worthwhile. Yeah. And, and that's what dropshippers now are doing. Everyone is trying to build their online brand. Yeah. And th with the purpose, of course, to get retention and get awareness and create like a long-term business. Excellent. Let's, uh, let's jump into our, our first and most important question, which is for you to tell us what you do and tell us what you're up to these days. Yeah. So I'm, I'm uh, Simon, I'm at HyperSKU and I'm based in China for the last 10 years. Um, offices in Shenzhen. I'm, I'm currently living in, in Shanghai myself. And for the last two years, I've been helping online sellers with their sourcing and shipping from China, first by myself. And since last year, I also joined 
hyperscale because I just fully embrace the mission that they're, they're chasing. There's just such such unclarity still within for actually online sellers to communicate with Chinese suppliers, to get a full transparency on what's happening, get answers, and then not suddenly a supplier that disappears, taking ownership and responsibility. And I think that there's a lot of work to do and it's still in the kind of an infancy. I mean, ordering from China and shipping it out is not that hard, but to actually control it and get much more sustainability and transparency on that, that's quite, quite difficult. Um, so I'm quite excited to join that mission. Yeah, well, and and I think transparency is a great subject to touch on because uh, it's it's not just about you know where is um, you know where is my product or what, you know when is this thing being shipped out. I think it's also uh, transparency in terms of the culture and in terms of the the workforce and and the labor force. You know, one thing that I looked into uh, very early on when I was doing this show is you know what the working conditions can be like in in China. And one thing that I learned is that you know. It doesn't. It's not always flattering. It doesn't always reflect well on them. But there are also countermeasures in place. There's watch groups. There are groups that are trying to uh, elevate the the quality of work. And I think being held accountable to a global market like this is giving uh, the the industry a chance to evolve and to um, you know provide better quality of work. So I, I'd love to hear your take on that. And what are some of the things you'd like to tell people about? Even just the the work culture um, within uh, well specifically within Hyper SKU. But you know if you can touch on it at large, I'd love to hear that too. Let's uh, first do uh, Hyper SKU and then maybe to compare with at large. When it comes to Hyper SKU, uh, it's it's we're kind of taking the benefit of what China has to offer. So China is very strong on logistics has a lot of, of course, access to products and very good IT resources. So from that resources perspective, both logistics, products, and IT, that's something that's available uh, at scale. So that's that's one thing why that makes sense. And then what we kind of do is add another flavor on it by having an international team. We have speakers that speak, besides myself, I'm from originally from the Netherlands, so I speak Dutch. Then we have German speaker, Russian, Spanish, French, and that kind of part of the communication is something where a lot of people struggle when it comes to buying products from China or anywhere across border. That part of it is something we think is very important, especially if somebody wants to build a brand, then they want to share what it is that they want to build. And as they're not touching the product with dropshipping, they need someone else to bring that message across. And that's something that I think uh, I like and this makes us more unique. When it comes to, we really have valued uh, empowering online sellers, whether they're big or small. Of course, we prefer the big, obviously, but we, we understand that it's a journey and everyone needs help during that journey. So for us, from early states, no MOQ, we can just get started because we understand some dropshippers can go really fast and we want to be on that wave as well. When it comes to, so that's kind of us. We have office in Shenzhen and in Hangzhou where we kind of like uh, expand and, and I'm going to set up office in Europe that later that next month. And we have someone in the U.S. soon and in Israel. And, and in this way, we're trying to expand. But our backbone has always been China because that's the strength when it comes to e-commerce right now. This is where all the, the main developments are and they're available of capital, everything there. Uh, when it comes to comparing ourselves to competitions, when I, for my me, competition, you have dropshipping agents, you have apps, and you have also these kind of competitors like Wio and CJ Dropshipping, which are in a similar space as us. And we have had Wio on the show before. Haven't had CJ Dropshipping yet, but right. you know, in due time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, when it comes to comparison, I think we have much more international flavor. They're in size, they're bigger than us. That's for sure. But uh, we have an international flavor, which really helps. And for us, it's less about 
revenue, 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 <laughs> where actually it is much more about the individuals. How can I have you help you to excel your do your best job? Our organization is quite flat, and quite most Chinese companies are very hierarchical. It's the boss that's decide, and you just have to follow, and then just go with it. Whether you agree or don't agree, it doesn't matter. You can have an opinion, but not not much going to change. So it's more like a factory. It's like an e-commerce factory. And for us, it's very flat. Everyone has their expertise. So our IT team is very strong. HR, sales, purchasing, they all have their own expertise and we rely on them. And we're very open on that. And we share understanding and thoughts from our perspective. And then we see this is not possible because of that or that's possible because of this. So that's kind of the dynamics that makes it, for me, I think, a very cool space to work in. Mm-hmm. And and one thing that I noticed too, because you're describing all the different languages, um, uh, like Russian, for, for instance, is you also have a, what I would say is a, a diverse array of perspectives and backgrounds who are converging in this space and are sharing their ideas unique to what they've experienced in in, in, in their background. So um, I'm wondering if that is actually if this is me just hypothesizing or if there's actually been any tangible results in like you know what is the what is the Russian speaker. Uh, have to say, have they been able to offer unique insights? Um, would have you, have you been able to offer unique insights that I think would otherwise not be there if it was all just you know uh, people locally are working there? For for sure, for sure. I think most of our Chinese colleagues as well they have studied abroad, and they also so everyone in our team that's communicating with customers are trilingual, so at least Chinese, English, and something else. Even the foreigners that are in our company, they also speak Chinese. So the main language in our company when during meetings is Chinese, but we have, we have uh, lived all over the world. So that will give us an added value. I think the most important is generate trust with the dropshippers itself and grabbing the information from Facebook groups or other groups that are available where people share what they're struggling with. And we see that every country still has different development stages. Not, not all countries are already very mature. Some, for some dropshipping is still new. So you still have to educate them much more. So the questions that come up are very different and the needs are also different with that. And that's having that kind of angle of being able to grab that information, making it our own, target them with the right information and then help, that will help the conversion and then we'll help them in their journey as well. Mm-hmm. So this this next thing that I'm wondering about this is this would happen to be a little bit more on a um, uh, on a specific uh, one might say a granular level, but in terms of being able to service a clientele, what you have is a lot of people at different times, like you and I. Like it's the morning for you, it's seven o'clock for me, and and we're just us two. But we have if you have um, clients and you have people working with you all over the world, then what I suspect is that you also have a great deal of flexibility in the hours and who has to be uh, active relative to when. Again, I, I come back to the the Russian speaker just as one example. You know, when a lot of the Russian customers come in, I assume that the Russian agent would need to be there, uh, ready to service them. So, uh, has that has there, has there been uh, an effect on the, I guess the um, on the flow of like who's coming in, who's coming out, uh, and shift scheduling and things like that? Is it mostly re- is is there's a lot of remote work going on, or is it more centralized in the location? Well, most centralized. We uh, still everyone goes to our office. I mean, but the working hours, our office hours are like nine thirty to seven. But in the end, as the sales or if you're dealing with customers from all over the world, there is no limit <laughs> to that. Uh, it's ongoing. And we see actually that a lot of the dropshippers, they are very active in the weekends and in the early mornings and the nights because quite often they have another job. 
Yeah. And that, that puts pressure yeah, that on, on, yeah. on our team, obviously. We don't have a 24-hour customer service, but normally we, we respond within a few hours. Um, but considering the night, yeah, of course, there's going to be some kind of delay when it comes to response. Uh, we try to speed it up by creating a group either on WhatsApp or Skype just to have this direct contact instead of having uh, a chat where you just have to wait for someone to respond when they, once they're online to make it more interactive and, and add another colleague just to increase the the chance of someone replying. So we're trying to leverage in, in a way, uh, but yeah, there will be some, some can be some delay due to time zones for sure. Yeah, yeah a, a lot of challenging things to, to, to consider, you know, if any of in our audience are thinking about where they want to branch off in the future and try running one of their own operations, there's certainly a lot of uh, logistical factors, communication factors that have to be taken into consideration. But when it comes to the communication, the communication for sure, but when it comes to handling orders or processing orders, that's what we do during the daytime for us. So it doesn't matter when the actual communication takes place. Once the order is paid, we will handle it in the daytime. So that kind of timing is also very important for us that our morning things need to be done to be able to benefit yeah. from, from it to be taken care of. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a personal, um, my mistake there just ever so slightly, which is I know logistics is usually shipping and fulfillment, but I've, I don't know, at some point, I think when I heard the word logistics, I just kept it as more of like a general backend operations thing. So that was, just, that was my mistake. So, uh, but yeah, you make a, you also make a good point is that, you know, regardless of like what time zone they're in, you know, a, a few days is a few days. And so these things, they need to be shipped efficiently in the, in that block of time. It's batch work. It has to be batched out. The other thing that I found, sorry, I just found it amazing amusing because you were saying that dropshippers, you know, they'll be keen on a communications early in the morning or in the evening or on the weekends. And I think that's just that that speaks, I think, not just to dropshippers, but that also speaks to the entrepreneurial spirit, uh, which is whatever time that I have to work on it, I take and it happens to be when I'm, my time isn't taken up elsewhere with my other responsibilities. Yeah, it's a, I, I really get inspired by doing what I do, talking to these uh, individuals they're chasing their financial dream or they already established it and they continue to build uh, on it by the online or offline. It's very inspiring on the, their message as well, their mindset, their daily routines. I think that's really, really fun. I really like that part of my job, just to be able to interact with them, learn from them, how they grow their business, how to build the business. I've built some businesses myself. I can also help them. And, and it becomes, you become a kind of like a, an extension of their company. And that's kind of what we want to be. It's not about just getting the order, fulfilling it, and then we're done. It's how can we actually help you with your journey? Uh, whether it needs, we need to get some experienced dropship on board. We're not that strong on ads because we focus on the backend, just the sourcing, the fulfillment, and the shipping. But when it comes to advertising, there are other people that do that. And there's plenty of content on that already. We just found that a lot of the content that we're trying to create also on our YouTube channel, on Instagram, it's much more about what's happening behind the scene on the supply chain. There's not so much visibility on that. Everyone is claiming to be like the advertising king or, or know what products to search. It's more front end. And then Debutify is also very focused on the front end. And we see all these content being created on social media, but who's going to handle it? And we want to be the one that's handling it. When the order comes in, someone needs to arrange it, ship it out, and make sure that the custom consumer receives it. Yeah, I mean, as the uh, as the Debutify uh, guy on my side, um, I think you make a good observation that marketing is definitely a key factor, and that is a lot of the work of, of Ricky Hayes. And what I would say that makes Debutify stand out is 
um, because these themes they are they begin on 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 the back end. We do we do have uh, our our back end developer who is trying to um, make that side of it efficient by offering a lot of add ons. You know, we have more than forty add ons, so it, it is a, a lot about figuring out what problems do we want to solve so that we can help the consumer solve the problems that they're more energized to. And so in that regard, you know, WFI really wants to help people focus on the marketing side of it. Yeah. And, it, and that's in the end what generates the traffic. So the, the having the right website, uh, co- copyright, advertising, that's in the end what's going to drive the traffic. And we benefit from that. So we also need these kind of uh, uh, expert players like yourself and your team to be able to generate the traffic and then we will benefit from it. So we're not so much visible to the consumer. We are very much in the back. I do want to ask about the origin of uh, HyperSKU. I, you know, I, whenever I ever get the chance, I think it's important to just hear kind of like the story of it. And there's a very particular question that I I like to ask, which is at the at the creation of it, what problem did they identify in the market and that they were trying to solve? And I and I think we've kind of like touched on it here or there, but I, I want to make sure that I ask it formally and just give it a, a chance to uh, be said out loud. There are two owners. They're both Chinese. One uh, has run a Pioneer, a payment company in China. The other one has run um, IT solutions, for example, Unexpress, the tracking, they've done the China lottery, they work with Tencent. So he has a very strong experience uh, when it comes to backend. But kind of they, they both complement each other. So one is done doing the business development uh, and, and, and the sales and everything, and more like the CEO. And then one is more the logistics operations and the IT. And they kind of came up with the idea that current market players are not filling the gap enough when it comes to internalization, when it comes to localization, just because every market, like we touched on, is, is different and it needs to, uh, a customized touch. And it's all standardized. Uh, so that is something that we, we thought, and we see that a lot of dropshippers are, someone places the order, ships it out, but the one that you buy from doesn't touch the product, doesn't touch the order. And that means that actually there's no control. And that kind of thing is something that we want to also make sure. What we saw, what what else what happened is that social media has become a very big driver and maybe even bigger than the platforms Amazon and eBay have. Amazon and eBay, we cannot really, there's so many Chinese players. I think more than 40% are Chinese sellers. They all, we cannot compete on price with them. So we focus on the social part. We want to help the social generate because that's all traffic generated. There's no SEO. There's no comparison. It's more impulse buying. And for that's really the angle that we, we, we are chasing. We got investors on board. Uh, we did a, a round last year. We're planning to do another round uh, this year just to be able to, uh, for us to, to, go, to go big. And maybe you know, but a lot of Chinese e-commerce companies, one of their business model is IPO. Just kind of generating capital Getting generating value just to be able to make that jump outside of China, because it's really tough to stand out. It's really hard work to be able to compete with the existing with the existing market players and grab your your space. Uh, and, and I think to uh, build on that point, because it, it's not just about um, other. Um... Uh, competitors say in the e-commerce space, I think it's also uh, competition with the what I would say is more like the household ap- uh, approach to business that people have come to expect for uh, for quite for quite a while. I'm talking about products that end up in WalMarts and uh, end up in superstores, and there is this I, I think this 
um, it's unfortunate, but I think it will be something that will be resolved in time is that there's this divide between brands that really have their start in e-commerce um, versus brands that have more of a like, legacy to them. Because, you know, unfortunately, not everybody has a luxury of starting in the 1800s back when uh, they were supplying product via a horse and carriage. Now it's a, it's a hyper competitive landscape. But then to also tie in your other point, it's about how social media um, is far more of uh, the important factor here compared to uh, Amazon and uh, these other lar- large companies. Companies. And I think the reason for that is it comes back to the intent behind why somebody is using this. Somebody goes on Amazon, they're looking for something, right? I don't think I don't think anybody goes on Amazon just being like, I want to be inspired today. No, people always know what they want when they go on Amazon. But social media is, if I depending on my mood, I'll call it a drug. But you know, it, it's also a, a way to. It's also a discovery platform. It's always about you know what's not only what's new, but what's active, what's happening, um, what's exciting, what are other people talking about, and so being able to engage them on that level helps to generate a lot of that initial buzz to hopefully branch get those brands branched into a more recognized and a more legacy setting. Yeah, and and what we see is one of the reasons that we, as well, think we can have an extra edge is that. Building a brand online normally results into also start selling offline. That means a combination of these two. And that's a different business model. It's not shipping an individual parcel, it's shipping bulk. And that needs to be custom cleared. And it is much, there's much more complexity to, to this. To be able to bring leverage this, that uh, online seller is selling on multiple platforms. They have different wishes on how on products that will, will be shipped out. They want some stock in China to service global. They want some stock local to be able to service their customers in their local market at one or more platforms. That kind of mix is something that is very important because online sellers are no longer put into one space. They are no longer only on Shopify or only on Amazon or only on that kind of platform. They're becoming more diverse. They see, okay, I build a brand. I have a brand. How can I become visible everywhere, offline, online? not only social media, but anywhere. And that's something that that trend needs to be serviced as well. I, I like to ask a little bit more about, you know, if uh, at this point, um, the, your company as a whole has uh, had any tangible experience in helping brands get more into the physical space. Um, have, I, I don't know if this is like something that you're working on or if this is something that has uh, that you're already um, a part of or if it's something down the line. It might be more speculative, but have you had any experience so far in helping uh, brands even get their products into a physical location? Not, not, ha- not helping them in a physical location per se, but we have helped plenty of brands that we we customized everything for them. So the packaging, the product branding, uh, everything, so that they and it will be shipped in bulk to an overseas warehouse. So we're launching our US warehouse probably next month. And then uh, summer we will have a European warehouse and that will help them on their supply chain as well. So we're not the ones that generate windows, sales windows online or offline. We're uh, maybe more than ones that Look for reliable suppliers and, and and arrange that it arrives. Right, and and you know in, in in that way, it is still answering the question because it is helping to create the supply line so that if somebody chooses to have it uh, or they they find out that a store wants to carry it, they have a clear, tangible sense of how am I going to get this product? Not only am I going to get it here, but how am I going to get it in bulk and how am I going to get it branded and packaged? And that's a really important part of it too. And I have to say like, you know, for me, I, I feel like I'm finally in like my 102 class for e-commerce. I think I finally got out of 101 <laughs> is one of the things that I really appreciate is how much um, these backend companies uh, such as yourself understand how important it is 
to have the branding right, to have the packaging uh, consistent. Um, so, because like, I have, <laughs> in the year, like in the span of the year before I, I entered the e-commerce space, I had definitely ordered some stuff online. And I remember getting like, my hair was really long at the time. And I got, and it was this comb that you would like brush and it would like straighten your hair out. And I remember the instructions were so poorly translated that I, I, this, this is what I would say if I was making fun of poor translations and, and like, you know, this thing is actually kind of dangerous if I don't use it right. So like <laughs> that, that alone like lowered the bar so much and, and brands need to understand that you just, that's just not acceptable. And, yeah. and, and it also speaks to the person too, who's creating this, uh, this, brand in the first place like if that's what they're going to do what does that say about the rest of their life about their ability to commit to these other things uh whatever they may be yeah 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 it's, it's a really o2o experience right it's not just on uh how, how you sell the brand online so making the web shop look fancy is one thing but then having the product arrived at the doorstep that's an experience that people in the end also you want them to promote and if that's and if that's faulty or not, not or messy, then normally it ends a disappointment and then we'll miss an opportunity to promote your brand further. Further. Yeah, I, I, one of the things I did want to ask also, uh, actually, well, so there's one thing I want to ask uh, just about maybe some of the um, some of the personal experiences of some of the people that you've uh, been able to help. I'm chambering that because I also just wanted to help um, un- our audience understand the company more. Uh, full scope because uh, there's also a larger company right is it like it's e-tailer hub which i think is the parent company yeah so they're not what we're talking about today but i think it's important for just the audience understands um the positioning here um so can you just uh briefly tell us about what else um is under the e-tail parent and maybe how what re- relationship there are between the different companies e-tailer hub is is the group name and then under the group and then you have hyper logistics, which is more like our tracking and, and, and logistics arm. So we're trying to develop that as well as an independent solution where probably we will have some kind of maybe Shopify app or someone where people can also get general tracking information. So that's kind of the logistics part, the transparency on the supply chain, which we're using now already at HyperSKU, but it also is an independent product that customers are using outside of HyperSQL. So then we have HyperSQL, which is much more than the sourcing, fulfillment, and the shipping. And then um, so and then we are still the, thinking about, okay, social media part, maybe TikTok, do something more with that, on um, integration with social media channels. And the other one is more B2B on how to we build a better tracking supply chain for B2B shipments itself and to monitor the warehousing, all these kind of things. So all of it is in the end related to the same, but it's all more niche, more zoomed into what it is. Within HyperSKU itself, we can add apps as well. Whenever there's an app that, that will help the dropshipper, we add that as a mini app into our system. And then it can be just added and clicked and can be used. So for us, the visible part for users is mostly HyperSKU. And then around that, there are some plugins that will help and that belongs all under the umbrella. We have the warehouse that runs as well. The warehouse is also an independent service and that way it belongs under the umbrella but it's not it's not visible. Uh, you know what's uh, intriguing about the um, way that uh, businesses can be formed based on problems that are being solved is you know I we, we don't have to get too much into like what order of events that happened here but because you have uh, logistics and then you have um uh, I, a strategy in regards to social media, it make logical sense to then say, well, why don't we just 
turn that into its own element and uh, almost like make that its own um, uh, business. So there's a bit of compartmentalization involved, but it does give people more flexibility to really hone in on what problems they need specifically solved for their business in particular. Yeah, we need. To, it's all about that kind of understanding. And we're not a seller ourselves. We don't want to be because it will create a conflict of interest. What we do want to do is there's a push and a pull. So a push is most of the time the dropshipper, they're asking us, I want to sell this product. Can you help me find this and make it available? And what will be the price? That's the most common one. What we also see is there are more and more Chinese suppliers who have really good products, but they're struggling to go global. That means that we can offer that supply to certain dropshippers that are doing well in that niche or in that space. So they become more like an affiliate for these uh, suppliers. And to be able to understand that logic, we need to also be able to be active in that space on social media to identify who's doing well, what contact is, is out there, how can we leverage that to be able to generate a win-win. And, and, and identifying a right supplier, that's already a big win if you have that one. Yeah. <laughs> and that reliability, consistency, someone that's all in, wants to invest as well, keeping stock, all these kind of things is is crucial because having a winning product is great but soon enough many other people will sell the same product and then it becomes a burden because then it's no longer available anymore <laughs> you need to wait for the product to be available and you already sold it and then it becomes a squeeze so the tricky yeah. part is to find good products that also can scale but they're still limited to a certain audience and i think that's something that that in the coming uh the months and years we will spend much more time on to be able to leverage the push and the pull. And from my perspective, uh, let's just say because I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the space now. I'm, I'm a seller at least, you know, step by step. One of the ways that competition can actually um, uh, take a shot at what it is that I'm doing is because if I don't have the ability to service uh, different parts uh, of the world, even if they would be interested in the niche, somebody else may be a little bit closer to that or has a different uh, network. Um, could uh, take advantage of my, my lack of the ability to deliver on that front. What you have is you have this competition that's popping up laterally that might surround me and might end up even taking over what, um, uh, what I'm trying to, what area I'm trying to sell to as well. Yeah, there's, there's always a squeeze. So when I, quite often I said, can you just give, give me the products that sell really well? I said, no, I cannot. <laughs> I need to protect my existing customers uh, and all of our customers because they worked very hard to find that product and to scale it. And then it's just me saying like, yeah, this one does well, here you go. And, and I also, I don't think that works that way because it's not so much about the product. It's much more about how you promote it, how you add it, how you package it, because in the end it's an impulse buy and that product doesn't make that difference. It's more on how you present it. That's normally one of the main drivers. So I, I do want to um, uh, run through this uh, just a little bit more, just so I understand uh, the product relationship here. So um, when I was looking at the website, and you have to forgive me if maybe I parse the information incorrectly, but I guess I was thinking that um, Hyper SKU, you, I know one thing I know for sure is that if I say I had a product request, you know, I could request that product and you could um, look for it and try to source it and find a supplier and you would have the leverage of a, of a larger uh, uh, operation to compel the, the source to then want to work with you. So that would be a way that would be helping me in turn. But are, but are you also like independently looking for products to maybe, um, let's just say you're, you're working with somebody and you say, well, you know, we have some other options. Maybe one of these might be of help to you. Um, is that an element of it or is it largely just focusing on the products that the sellers are already working on? 
It, it starts always with uh, with the request of the product because we think okay. they need to do the research. And then around that product, we, we we can make suggestions, but we have to be very careful with what we suggest that it doesn't conflict with an, an existing one. And that's mm-hmm. something that, that that's something that we always have to have to balance. But yeah, it could be like this one is not available at the moment, but we have this one, and it's a similar product. It has more, maybe even more functionalities. That part we definitely definitely do. I think for us, when it comes to what we do, is we make things transparent and automize most of it. When it comes to sourcing, fulfillment, and and shipping. Finding the right supplier is one thing that's quite hard and finding the right product and have stock available and to do the branding and do all the communication and negotiation. That part is tricky. Fulfillment is also is not, is not that easy because you have thousands of orders coming in with different products that need to be separated and sent to the right consumer and sometimes even combined. So you have four products that need to be put in one order and you want that to be looked the same way in the same look and feel. And then being it shipped out within... Normally, we ship about seven to 10 days from our warehouse, which is still acceptable. But developing, continuously developing and managing these supply, these, these logistics lanes is, is very important. And then the fourth one is the after sales, is the actual communication with the consumer or with the dropshipper to help them, give them timely answers of what they're, what they're struggling with. To have all that in a system by just connecting your store, all the orders come in. You just actually can even ask us to click all the orders and process them as long as you have put enough money on the account. Uh, you basically don't have to do anything anymore. <laughs> you just have to connect your store and you say, okay, it's time to top up again. Okay, I will top up some more money. Okay, what else do you need? Okay, we have a new product. Oh, okay, what's the price? Is this price okay? Yes, yeah, okay. Or I need this price for me is better. Okay, sure. And then we negotiate, find another supplier. And you basically have a, everything is taken care of and um, most of the players in the market they either do sourcing or they do the shipping and not so many are actually doing both and are trying to make everything optimized as much as possible we want to be hands-off that's the dream that everything just goes yeah which is an extension of what uh, sellers on an individual level want too uh, because it's it's going to be impossible really to to scale effectively while not uh, also automi- automating these kinds of things um, my, my personal view and you know this is me coming from coming from the perspective of somebody who's yet to make a sale you know I'm just going to be transparent about that which is manual is good to do first yeah. to understand the process and then that way if I were to then automate something I know what it is I'm automating I, I don't just immediately go right to uh, the automation side of it yeah. And we see that most of the ones that do really well, they build a team around them with their own expertise. Um, they can also get access to their, to their account at Hyperscue of the dropshipper, but with limited access. So they're kind of like a virtual account or assistant account, staff account, and they can, you can decide which, which actions they can and cannot do. So they cannot pay or they can, cannot import products or they have some kind of limitations, but it will allow them to do what they need to do find the information that they need at that time zone they're in to inform the consumer as fast as possible of what's happening and to be able to allow them and enable them to find the information they need to generate invoices they need for their accountants or overviews that they need to be created based on the data in our system. I think that's very useful because then it becomes kind of like an open space for them to, to grab the information they're looking for. And we still have to make more progress in that in that part but that's in the end but and enabling them empowering the online sellers 
with the everything yeah yeah well there was one piece of information that i'd seen on the website that i was um intrigued by and to our audience who noticed that I started saying intrigued and stopped saying curious, that's just because I, I don't know, I used to edit a lot of podcasts and I kept hearing the word curious and I'm curious like, I've got to get that lot. word out of it. Yeah. It does come up a lot. And I'm like, okay, I intrigued, I, the, you know, it's same, same <laughs> thing, uh, a, a little bit of a pattern interrupt there, um, which is the trend support. So what I, what I see here of just I'm really kind of taking a stab at it, to be honest with you, is being able to identify what are the patterns of activity, maybe based on a lot of the um, the, the clients that you're working with. So that's kind of like my guess at it, but I would like to hear uh, about the trend support in specific. And it, to me, it's, it sounds like it's a unique feature. I can't think of any other buddy that I've talked to who does this, or maybe they have a different name for it. I don't know, but anyways, take it away. So trend support is more like the products, right? Where they are trendy, that kind of thing, right? So, well, normally we look at the Chinese social media. So we look at um, the Douyin, the TikTok in China, um, we do a Pinduoduo and we have Taobao and we look at several platforms that show good results on certain products that do, do well. And then we kind of uh, look for them and then we, we, we have this weekly, I think it's a weekly mailing to send out just more for inspiration and to also to make ourselves more visible and to give ideas. We're not the ones that are have these kind of uh, product search tools available, what's, what's hot and trendy. Um, we're trying to do that differently because everyone is coming up with the same products in this way. So by looking at more at the Chinese market, and quite often they, these are then new products that have not been launched internationally, it will give us an advantage to promote something that's not there yet. So that's kind of uh, how we do the, the trendy part. It's not per se bestsellers. It's more what is now selling well, mostly in China and potentially global. Yeah, and 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 I think that's uh, a key takeaway um, for the audience to understand that you know there's a lot of places to do product research. There's project research tools. People can go directly to um, see what's being so um, advertised on Facebook. Go directly to AliExpress. Um, but because a lot of these products, I would say, you know, they even originate in China. Um, oftentimes, they're already at the forefront, and what happens there can then have a ripple effect for the rest of the you know for the rest of the world. Exactly. Exactly. So that's that, that's our that's our take. I think China is uh, has so many different kind of products that are still not known um, globally. I think uh, when you just look at the numbers, there are billions of products on on, on Taobao, which is the lo local platform in China, which is like also belongs to Alibaba. And then there's only uh, maybe hundreds of millions in Amazon or eBay. There's still a gap of what's available here and what's being sold globally. By the way. If you're a current user of Debutify or haven't tried us out yet, Debutify version 3 has been released and now is a good time to upgrade or get started as any. A streamlined user interface along with an ever-increasing array of conversion-boosting add-ons is waiting for you. So download today for free and start your journey. Who knows? Maybe I'll be interviewing you before too long. I know that there's some... Obviously, there's a, a, a you know client-seller um, uh, relationship here, so... Uh, I, I recognize that before I ask this, there's only so much information that can be conveyed. So granted, but I did go on to the uh, hyperskew case studies. And uh, one of the case studies that stuck out to me was, you know, it was, I think, a, a mother of two uh, who's also selling her um, and she's selling baby clothing. And, and, I, and I thought that was a, a really great story because it, it helps to remind people that the kind of people who are doing this work, uh, who, are, who are selling, I mean, they're not 
not everybody is, uh, is Jeff Bezos. You know, we have a lot of average people alluding to what you said earlier about a lot of the people they're, they're coming in in the mornings and the evenings is the only chance they got. So there's a lot of people who, you know, they want to do this and to some degree they need to do this because this might be the difference between uh, going paycheck to paycheck, making ends meet to giving their kids a more uh, 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 optimistic future to look forward to. So uh, I would love to hear some of the, um, it, a couple of stories that stick out to you or just some of the relationships that you've had that have, um, that would help add to the transparency and just show, you know, what kind of people are really trying to uh, make it work here. Well, it's a real part of the journey for a lot of them. And we had this kind of, um, how to call it like dream screams where somebody said, I just quit my job. And to be able to be part of that journey, that just gives me goosebumps just to be able to help them to get their financial dream. And in the end, it's them that who did it. We've just been a small part of it, but we have been a contributor to that. And it's amazing to be part of that and that someone is sharing that with you and saying like, I just, I'm going to quit my job next month because it's going so well. This is what I want to be doing. I'm going to build a team. And do you have any advice for me? And that, that's, that's just fun. And so that, that happens multiple times and uh, that, that's just fun. And there are also, of course, people that struggle and say, I, I've tried so many products. It's not working. What else can I do? And then we try to hook them up with someone who does really well, just to get that them someone um, to to look at, take a look at. Because yeah, there's so many courses that people are selling, but a course is not related to what you're doing now. You want someone right. to look at your essay situation. So that's something. When we see someone is really trying, and it haven't been succeeding, and they are really asking for help, not they're giving up, but they still want to make it work. So that's some part of it. But what what happening when it comes to age levels? I've had, I've had customers that are 15 years old, one five and 70, seven zero. It's fascinating to have these kind of conversations. Um, just the one, the 70 year old, he is, uh, he has, he runs international business, mostly in consulting and advising, and just wants to get an understanding of what is this drop shipping and, and how does it work? As I hear people talking about it, just curiosity. Sorry, I have to use that word, <laughs> but that no, no, no worries. It came up organically. I'll and, let it go. And, and so that's that's something that, uh, that that fascinates me. And everyone is in a different stage. So normally you see majority is between twenty and thirty year olds. They are either just finished school or in school, or they dropped out of school to chase this online dream to build an online brand and and, and further onwards. There are quite many of them, particularly due to last year what happened, that they are not cannot rely on their job or in their employer anymore. That's one. Then they're working from home, so they have extra time. And they're trying to look for some other flow of income that will help them to create something more outside of what they already have. And those are normally 30, 40, 50 year olds. And for them, it starts as a side hustle. And they're quite, might, most of them already have online business or existing business, either entrepreneur or as an employment. They have the, already the understanding of what it takes. There, so there, there's already also different conversations you have, um, maybe a little bit more mature because they have seen more. Uh, and the other one, it's much more, sometimes slowing them down <laughs> to make it more realistic. Yeah. With the 15 year old, I, 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 I think the youngest like person I've talked to on the show um, is, uh, is, was 19 when I talked to him and that was like a couple of weeks ago. And, and I do think, man, I'm like. 10, 11, 11, 11 years older. And, and, and this guy just like, he had the, the initiative, uh, he knew what to do. And now he's 
face free. That's and that's and that's kind of like it's corny, but that's like the fundamental that I like to bring this all back to is if somebody wants their freedom, um, this is the most tangible way to acquire it. Because well, although yeah, you still have your responsibilities. Life is not life without responsibility, but it's a much different thing to be in charge of our own structure as opposed to um, always being uh, at the whim of somebody else's structure. And and I will say too, uh, you know, just to give credit to my uh, my company is that they've definitely given me a healthy balance. You know, I have I got to be here for the call. I don't mind being here for the call. Um, so then there there are there is some structure to it, but I'm also very free too. I, you know, if I uh, tomorrow I could uh, log some time, or I could go out, and it'll, it'll it'll depend on you know my my own discipline, my own responsibility. Yeah, it it sets the tone. I think for the teenagers and the twenty year olds, they have access to so much right now, that much more than 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 I had. I'm I'm 39, so I. I for me, I, I was still know when internet came, more or less. <laughs> so I, I don't think I've leveraged it enough, but I think it's very inspiring to see them what they're what they're doing, and it's just for them also the beginning of an entrepreneurial journey. And this is just going to be a ripple effect. It's going to create much more business and opportunities for them. And I'm a firm believer that employments are slowly moving away, and it becomes you become your own employee employer. You are your own business. You just need to create enough value for companies to hire you or make use of you part-time, full-time, or whatever kind of format. And that realization, I think, is with uh, younger people easier to grab. And, uh, and, and the f- effect that social media has on large companies that fully relied on offline and now had to make a switch into also generating sales online, tapping into teenagers and 20-year-olds who understand that space has been also a great way on how it's not about seniority anymore. It's about expertise. And, and, and there's, no, there's no level. There's no limit. There's no age to it. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, the, the seeds for the, for the future have certainly been planted. And, you know, I, I myself, I just, cause I just hit my, my thirties and I'm fascinated to see what's going to unfold in the next 10 years. And, and I, and and I feel like there are moments where I feel like I'm living in what that's going to what that's going to be like. It's decentralization. It's for the ability for people to work remotely, travel, and be where they they feel they can be either most effective or if they just want to travel for the sake of it. And the 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 dis, the almost the dissolution of the hierarchical structure because yeah, I mean, you got your bosses, but. It's, I mean, it always it always has been that way, but I think it's been more of a change in psychology than anything. You know, the day someone's going to write my paycheck, but. I have my value, they, they have their value, and there's a very clear uh, exchange of, of goods and services. Yeah, and this is also how we run the company at Hyperscale. We see everyone as an entrepreneur. Every employee is an entrepreneur because they're an expert on what they do. They need to contribute from their angle to make our company grow and go faster. And that kind of mindset is something, we're not a follower in, internally. Everyone has their voice uh, and has their value. And, and accepting that. I think is huge. And for Chinese companies, that's quite rare to find, I must say. I've been here for 10 years. I've seen many Chinese companies and it's very top down. And this one, the structure, the direction, yes, is top down, but the contribution is very bottom up. Yeah, I mean, there's um, there, there's a couple of like um, uh, grenades that the pin is just like tempted to pull it out because it's not just about company too. It is also about their, uh, their the government structure, and that is a whole other institution that definitely would take some work to um, uh, to, to resolve. I don't want to get into it, but I do want to very least say I'm aware of it, and I just want to like you know acknowledge it and move on. Uh, but you say ten years—that's uh, that, that's that, that's fascinating. That's inspiring. I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about like your journey and how 
um, you, you you got to that point to be committed to you know another part of the world for so long. Yeah, so originally from the Netherlands, I, I had a trip in 2005 where I had a stopover in Hong Kong on the way to Australia and New Zealand. And I got inspired by that, just being in Hong Kong. I think I remember Sunday night, 10 p.m., I was walking around and it was crowded. I could hardly walk. I had to shovel my way on the street. It's like, my God, 10 p.m. on Sunday night. I've never had that anywhere in the world that this has happened to me. This is fascinating. And I, I love other cultures. I want to learn from them because I believe that you can look at the same object uh, in many different ways. And for everyone, it has a different meaning. And to be able to get a better understanding uh, than living and working in a country that doesn't speak English became kind of a dream. So my dream started 2005, 2007. I was here for six weeks doing my research for my thesis. And I was like, this is the place. New York and Shanghai were the place I felt so inspired. I wanted to be there at some point and, and get a job. So before my 30th, I wanted to live and work in, in Shanghai, more or less. So that uh, became a mission start to look for jobs, work for a company that hopefully would send me here. Didn't happen. Went on a holiday, looked for a job. And during that holiday, I met with 50 people for drinks, breakfast, dinners, everything. And one of the two of them resulted into an opportunity and one into a job. And that was uh, TNT, the logistics company. Then I landed here in 2011. And um, yeah, and, and, and then after that, I've been running uh, multiple businesses, mostly on international trade, e-commerce, uh, logistics. Yeah. Well, I, I think it speaks to your entrepreneurial spirit too, because you said that you know you're going on holiday looking for, for looking for work. You know, I think most people when they go on holiday, they're looking to like hide away from their work as much as possible. So uh, it just it just goes to show you know what you know what you value even in uh, in in your word choice. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go here. It's a it's a visit, but. I'm I'm going here with an objective and a goal, and uh, and you were inspired by it. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for noticing. I'm a strong believer about proximity. So if you want to be in places, you have to you want to reach a certain goal. You have to be in places where it's happening, <laughs> and and with the people that are doing it. And for me, it was I want to be working and living in China. I cannot be in a meeting tomorrow because I'm not there. I need to relate to these people. And the same goes for dropshippers. Don't isolate yourself on the attic or or in your own little in your own room. Go out there, connect with others, find a mental group, find someone who's in the same space as where you are in your journey and feel inspired and, and understand it's not you, just you that are doing this hustle. There are plenty of other people doing that. And uh, being in proximity will just help you to go much faster in the goals you want to achieve. I, I think it's worthwhile too, considering um, you know how much of this is accomplished uh, remotely. Uh, and, and again, you know, you and I are into very uh, uh, disparate parts of the world, and yet when you say the proximity, there's still um, unmistakable, indisputable value to where you are and who you're around by. And I'm not a big, I'm not the biggest fan of the word vibe, but that word um, is just slang for vibration. And the way and being around the same energy uh, signatures of other people will make somebody more productive. It just I don't know if the science is exact, but it seems to me that it that it makes logical sense. Yeah, yeah, it's been a huge contributor, and it still is. Whenever I want to make something happen in a space, I need to get connected with the people, talk to them, let them hear my story and, and get the voice out. And then people start to think with you instead of for you. Uh, and, and, and that's something that's uh, very important. Social media is a great tool. It's, quite often, it's the weak links that help me most. People that I didn't know, but are somehow connected with me on Facebook or WeChat in China or any kind of tool. And they see the message and they respond, hey, I know someone or I'm interested or can you share a little bit more? It's like, huh, you? 
I never even thought about you. Uh, so that's super powerful uh, just to be active in a, in groups that whether you know them or don't know them, but you're in proximity. So I want to, uh, I, I think how much time I've, I've got you for, yeah, I guess you have another like uh, eight or nine minutes. Um, there is another question here, a bit of a gear shift, but uh, this is one that I think is going to be really important for our audience um, to ask. Um, so I'm, I was on the hyper, uh, by the way, before uh, meeting you, I was like dead set on calling it hyper skew, but I noticed Both you called it hyper SK. It doesn't matter. Well, it's fine. Okay, cool. Yeah. When in doubt, just go for like the most absurd pronunciation <laughs> possible, which is why for dinner, I'll be having my VG tables. Anyways, so I, I, I noticed that there were, I mean, it wasn't, there were conditions, but there were like some questions that they asked the seller, like, you know, are you selling 10 to 50 orders per day? And if you're selling that many orders and hyper, uh, hyper would be the, the fit. And there were some other conditions too. I didn't write those down, but the, that one stuck out to me because I think there's a challenge here. It, it, it's, it, it's, uh, indisputable that there is a lot that you can do to help and to, um, expand and to create the growth that they're looking for. But the challenge prior to that is, you know, how do you, how getting to 10 to 50 orders per day, um, while potentially being at somewhat of a disadvantage. Now I'm not posing this question so that you can provide the solution. That's, I don't think that's fair, but I, I would like to know just some of the experiences that you've learned from some of the people that you've worked with, maybe how they've been able to um, get to the point where they're now ready to uh, work with hyperskew. We don't have an MOQ, so if there's one order a day, it's possible. This is what we okay. write on the website is more our ideal customer sure, and sure. what we would Fair like enough. to serve. The, the reason is also because you can then benefit from the efficiency of our system. If you do one order, for us, it's we, we buy locally in China, and then we have local delivery costs to our warehouse, and then we handle that one order and ship it out. We only uh, so, so that's additional cost. But if you can divide these logistic shipping costs, which is normally maybe 50 cents to a dollar, if you can divide it over multiple products, it becomes far more interesting. So that, that's the, the definitely, then it becomes smaller and smaller and you don't really feel the impact of that additional cost that we have to take. So that's one thing uh, when, when it becomes more interesting. Then the system itself, there's a lot of efficiency to it. So if you have multiple orders, you can click them all at once. You can pay them all at once. If you have multiple products or also multiple suppliers, you don't have to deal with all these multiple suppliers because we take care of that. You only have to talk to us. So there's an efficiency advantage as well. So first is cost, second is efficiency. And third is for us, our own business, we only earn money once there's an order placed. There's no subscription fee. There's no, you don't pay any, any fixed cost or anything. Only once the order is placed, we earn money because our prices is a product price and a shipping price. And inside that price is our margin. And you can understand that if it's one order, it will never be profitable just because of the amount of time you need to put in to set it up, help the customer get started, give them an understanding. So that's, that's why we, we prefer to have 10 to 50 orders a day, but we understand that everyone has to grow into that. And, 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 and creating a win-win from the beginning uh, is fine. It's always a conversation. And I think a lot of people forget what they forget is they sign up HyperSQ, search a pro submit a sourcing request, they get a result, they say it's too expensive. And we do that on purpose because we kind of add a discount once a conversation starts. Because only someone that is serious wants to negotiate for their, what they have and want to see what's possible. 
and everything is possible, but we need to have the right mindset. If someone is just coming for click a product, check, it's not okay. Okay, I'll leave it. Hyperscue is too expensive. Okay, fine. We're not the right fit. So it's also a filter for us to getting people to understand it takes work from both sides to create that win-win. And that kind of filter is built in in our system as well. Yeah, yeah and, and, and that's... Um... It speaks to the larger through line, um, not just throughout the, the show here, but also what everybody in the e-commerce space, regardless of where they're making their content or where they're saying it, is that you know this is this is going to take a great deal of work. I myself, I don't think I've talked to anybody who like considers themselves one of the gurus. I've only ever seemed to talk to people who say, "Well, I'm not one of the gurus." So I think that that I guess that conclave aren't really part of the the industry, at least part of the ecosystem um, uh, that is going on over here. So I, I think that for the most part, I, I like I like the tactic. I really do like the idea of just you know showing them the price and using that as a way to gauge whether or not they really have even the stomach to to deal with this in the first place. Yeah, and 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 we have to realize that most of our time is is put into the communication, and so one person can only handle a certain number of accounts. And to be able to vet them before they start communicating, this is a great way because otherwise uh, we cannot handle the customers that are submit the sourcing request. So one other part of it too that I wanted to ask about, because I don't ask about the like about returns and refunds as often maybe as I should. So I don't want to touch on that briefly, which is the, because, uh, you know, we, we established, we understand that what you do with your uh, with your clients is it's a very clear working win-win relationship. So when it comes to the refund, um, how much onus is it on the seller to, I guess, gauge whether or not something is uh, good to uh, refund or return? Um, and if if so, safely getting back to the to the to the warehouse, quality control, that kind of thing. So how do you diplomatically, I guess, handle the uh, the returns and the refunds problem? Yeah. Of course, we try to reduce that as much as possible. But when it happens, it's uh, so normally if the product is sent wrong, so for example, they ordered red and they get blue, uh, like a blue item, or when it's just is broken, or when it didn't arrive, so lost or missing, then we will either compensate, so we we refund or we resend at our cost. We take ownership for that because that part is we made a mistake. We didn't check enough on the product, or we didn't protect them well enough. Or we, we our supply chain, our logistic solutions are not reliable enough. When a consumer is not happy because the size is not right, but we shipped out the right size, or when the, they don't think it's the right fit, or they just want to return it, that's not on us because we don't we don't select the products. The the online seller selects the products. So in that case, the consumer has received it and accepted it, and then they can return it to China if they want to. But most of the time, they don't want to because it's too expensive to the cost itself because it's at their cost. Um, when, a, when a parcel is not delivered, quite often it's returned to our overseas warehouse of our partner, and then we can send it out, send out again. We just need to get, verify the address information whether it was sent to the right place in the first place. Uh, with a phone number, and then we can send out again. Yeah, and and I, and I would say the central point to all of this too is how important customer satisfaction is um, at the end of it all. And I, I don't, I, I was tempted to say the company that did this, and I feel like if I do that, that's actually going to like a bunch of people going to try taking advantage of them. So I'm not going to do that. But I did order a product, and it ended up not being a fit. And so I said, hey, I'm going to have to return this. And they said, you know, just keep it. It's fine. It's a it's a gift from us. And I was perplexed because it was like an eighty dollar purchase. It wasn't cheap. 
I mean, depending on who you ask. So I thought, you know, even at that price point, it really wasn't worth it for them to take it back. I don't know, maybe a liability thing. I mean, it 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 is part of like it is attached to the person's body, so maybe they're just worried about the coronavirus or whatever it was. But yeah, like it, in order to avoid that, you know, they really do need to focus on making sure that the customer is satisfied and test the product, make sure the product is going to cover all the bases, um, crash yeah. test it as much you can. Yeah, we we do get we do ask for proof. So when it's not delivered, then normally you can see with the tracking number that it's delivered or not delivered. If the consumer still doesn't claim it's not delivered, we ask them to fill in a form and sign for that, that they actually did not receive it. And when it's broken, we ask for pictures. When it's the wrong color or wrong whatever product, then we ask for pictures. Ask the consumer to prove that it was that what they received is not the correct one. Um, so whenever there's something um, wrong or by mistake, then we prove. If the seller says, the dropshipper, because that can also be a business model, the dropshipper says, sorry, uh, they didn't receive, can you just refund to me? Uh, then they can also earn money, right? So for us, we also want to show proof that the dropshipper has refunded it so if the dropshipper refunds 20%, 50%, or 100%, we will refund the same 20%, 50%, or 100% of what they spend with us. So we also want to see some proof uh, to be able to just make it fair. I mean, we are transparent. They need to be transparent and anyone, everyone. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Well, I, that's certainly, I think, the, uh, the, the fundamental of the conversation today is the importance of, uh, of transparency. And so... Uh, I, I got to say, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm really, I'm really grateful to uh, to get the insights from you that I that I did. But, but it's been an hour, so I'm going to. I got one, I got one more question for you. Um, it's more about. This is more just curious. But is there anything else that you'd like to tell us just about what life is like um, uh, living there? Any other like fun factoids, food or or travel or roads or what's on TV? Anything like that? Did you like like to share with us? Uh, China is now just very open when it comes to traveling so china is very free i mean whenever you operate within this uh within within the boundaries of the country you can go anywhere where you want to go uh, so that i think is quite unique when you look at the, the global situation uh, right now um, for me is uh what is very cool is that in china everyone is china chasing their china dream it's even taught on primary schools already that kids already be educated on principles of chasing certain values that will help them and the company and the country to, to grow. You can call it propaganda, but it is a mindset that I see as well with all the dropshippers that I'm dealing with. They're chasing the same values as what's being taught now in China. So that entrepreneurial mindset is being already put into the minds of young Chinese at this point, and that's going to just accelerate over time as well. Everyone in China is changing, chasing their China dream and willing to fail and try some new things. And I find that very inspiring. And I, that's why it also keeps me here and kept me going just because it's, it's just full of opportunities. And I think a lot of people are not fully aware of that part of the China. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's new to me too. I, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't realize that. And, and I, and I think that um, can be instilled in different ways in different parts of the world. And, and then not to be critical, some parts might call it patriotism. Uh, just, you know, uh, we're all proud of where we're from. So I think a majority yeah. is, so that's fine. It's uh, normal. Yeah. Uh, and, and with that, I think, um, I, I, I think we're all, we're all good here. Uh, again, I, I just want to thank our audience for, for their participation too. Um, it means a lot to be able to 
gather this information and to be able to convey it. Um, so Simon, if there's any last words you'd like to share, wisdom, advice, answer to a question, didn't ask anything like that, you're more than welcome to, no pressure. And then let the audience know how they can uh, get involved and get in touch. Yeah, just uh, keep chasing the dream and don't get uh, disappointed because in the end you will look back at as a journey. So even your your lows are probably one of the one moments that you feel most proud of along the way. Excellent. And then uh, how, how how to find you guys online? Uh, obviously, hypersq.com. We also have a frequently asked questions where you can get a lot of information. We're on YouTube. We have instruction videos and content there, Instagram. Um, and then there's a chat always where you can just connect with us and talk to. If you want to reach out to me, I'm on Facebook, on Instagram and LinkedIn. So Simon Derat, um, R-A-A-D-T. And you can leave a message there as well. I'm happy to help you out. All right. Uh, terrific. And with that, we're going to uh, let everybody go. So uh, to our audience, uh, all the best. Take care and we'll check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you, so whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next. <laughs>